0: Being in business is about being good to people and uh, they come to you with a problem and you fix it and you know how good is that you know it's really rewarding that way and another thing I, like I mentioned earlier too is just the uh, problem-solving part of it I, you know believe it or not maybe I'm a little twisted that way but you know when guys come to me with a problem I like to you know anybody in the office comes with me a problem I, I like to I like to think out of the box it puts me in a situation it's like hey I know there's a solution How am I going to get there?"
1: What do life-saving devices, leather bags, and airplanes have in common? They are made right here in Oregon by ordinary small businesses doing extraordinary work every day. I'm your host, Linda Wexler. The Manufacturing Matters Oregon podcast is a collaborative effort designed to advance Oregon's $1.2 trillion manufacturing industry by telling their untold stories. In this episode, I sat down with Greg Madden, owner and founder of Madden Fabrication. Greg is one of the driving forces that helped create this podcast series, which originated as a way for the manufacturing community in Oregon to learn from each other to help grow their businesses. Greg is passionate about sharing the benefits and opportunities that having a career in manufacturing provides. We talked about those benefits and we also dove into Greg's own career journey and the pride that he takes in seeing his company's work come to life. So tell us a little bit about the Manufacturing Matters Oregon podcast. How did it start? I'm, From my understanding, you kind of initiated this whole thing.
0: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I did a little bit. Um... Yeah, we uh, used to. Well, I, I went to uh, several meetings with the industrial industrial districts groups, which are made up of um, industrial manufacturers and folks that are uh, manufacturing related to in the different industrial neighborhoods of of uh, the Portland area. And uh, we'd get together on a monthly basis and talk about some of the needs and and issues of, involving manufacturing in the Northwest and specifically in Portland, Oregon, and. Um, as we talked, we talked about, you know, we just manufacturing only really just doesn't have a, a great spokesperson for, you know, the benefits that it offers. And, and uh, so, you know, as we talked, we talked about some sort of branding, maybe a website. And then I realized I was, I was listening to several manufacturing podcasts to improve my operations and learn new things around manufacturing. I've always kind of get my ears to the ground and been involved with an industrial neighborhood and area and finding out what other people do. You know, all my experience in business, I really realized that, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Somebody's thought about it already. Just ask around and and nine times out of 10, people are pretty interested in sharing that information. So as we talked, I thought, well, I I enjoy this manufacturing podcast that I listen to. And so I brought it up to the group and they all seemed excited about it. And they said, well, why don't you look into it some more and come back to us at the next meeting and let us know what happens. And and from there I was really pleasantly surprised how fast it took off and how much interest there really was in in a in a podcast related to manufacturing.
1: Yeah, it sounds like in in Portland or in Oregon in general there's not that much out there as far as a podcast or there's a ton of manufacturing activity but not a whole lot out there, you know, talking about manufacturing, I guess over a podcast. So was that one of the reasons why you thought maybe it might be a good Good thing to put this
0: together or well i knew i knew it was interest to me i knew that you know as a manufacturer i, I you know my my typical business is a metal fabrication shop and and even though i like to say i'm a i'm a, I'm a manufacturer i am I, I manufacture structural miscellaneous steel but it's more it's more fabrication which is ultimately uh you know kind of a high mix low volume type business um, so not a true manufacturer And um, when the city of Portland got us involved with the Portland Lou, um, I I realized this could be a product that could turn our facility more into a manufacturer than just simply a fabrication shop. So, you know, I immediately went out to learn what I could about manufacturing, which led me to several great resources in Portland and even in the U.S. that... um, help me grow my business. And that's what this podcast is about too. And what I do when I listen to podcasts is to glean that kind of information from miles away that I can use right in my own facility.
1: Yeah. And and there might be folks out there that are listening to this podcast that um, aren't familiar with the terms fabrication. So can you describe what fabrication means and how you go about fabricating Uh, (laughs) in your company. Sure, sure, you know,
0: there's... (laughs) What you fabricate. uh, Absolutely, absolutely. There's several fabricators. And and like I mentioned, it's like manufacturing to me is just like a more of a uh, high volume, low mix. So a lot of the same thing, but a lot more of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to optimize and improve operations that way. Mm -hmm. In the fabrication world, it's, and especially in my world, it's, you know, a, a... a manufacturer a business or whatever wants to build a building they hire an architect mm-hmm. they hire engineers they, they work around their plans what they need physically for the building they they improve upon that with their architectural designs and they eventually create a set of blueprints that go out to bid and um, general contractors will you know bid on that package but they'll need help from man, uh, fabricators like myself mm-hmm. to do things like the electrical the concrete and all the subcontractors basically involved so we bid on those jobs um we, we might bid to five or six different general contractors mm-hmm. we might be five or six different fabricators competing against me with that same job so you know everything is based on price and and some experience on you know and, and background on you know if a contractor wanting to use me over somebody else because of our performance and our success in the past so that's fabrication so it's it's all different it looks the same you know beams and columns all look the same but they're different heights or different types of construction around them so so it's you have to optimize kind of differently in fabrication than you do in manufacturing
1: so you've made beams and columns but you've also made some some interesting uh products like i believe that you've told me before that you you made some railings or things like that for buildings entryways things like that and is this out of metal or what materials are the yeah we work in
0: metal metal in general you know it Mm -hmm. could be carbon steel stainless aluminum um yeah you're right we we're we're fortunate we've been very diverse and that's helped us through some some hard times you know sometimes you're doing commercial buildings sometimes you're doing residential buildings depends on what the market is doing Mm so that that diversification has helped us out a lot so yeah we've done some some pretty nice projects we've worked with um we we did some uh rebuild when i first started out with the uh crater lake lodge so we did a lot of structural and miscellaneous steel in that so it's great to be part of that and uh, timberline lodge we do a lot of architectural metals and and lighting projects for that so um it's great when we can go up there and see our work hanging from there and then most of the time a lot of our steel is is hidden in buildings but you know, our both our employees and our, myself take a lot of pre- pleasure and in, in pride in you know driving by something and knowing that we helped build it, and it's going to be there very long.
1: So, talk a little bit more about where you're located, because I feel that that's a really unique manufacturing environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you're in Northwest mm-hmm. Portland, um, mm-hmm. and um, and you're pretty central to the city. But where Madden Fabrication is located is part of this greater community, as far as I can see. So talk a little bit more about that.
0: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, my shop is in northwest Portland. Um, uh, the landmark I always use is just below the Montgomery Park building, the old Montgomery Wards building. But that's the uh, that area is called the Kyle's Lake Industrial Sanctuary. And it was established as an industrial sanctuary with specific restrictions on um, what, what kind of businesses can be in that area. And what that does is it gives manufacturers like myself um, resources like water, power, big open spaces, a lot of a lot of storage space, Um, and and the city back in the '70s was very wise to listen to a lot of manufacturers in that area say, "Hey, we need an inner manufacturing sanctuary or area to work." Mm that we can grow from it's got great infrastructure access to highways and things like that so mm-hmm. all that all that comes together basically to you know make it really easy to do work in portland and now the northwest industrial business association helps to manage that and maintain that sanctuary uh, you know, and, and just to let the, you know, the city and other people know that, hey, we need to have this space. We we need to work here, just like an airport or any other, you know, general public use service area that needs to be large and, and uh, maintained.
1: And do the folks that, the manufacturers that are in that area, do they work together? Um, is that what the association is oh, yeah, there we, for?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's a unique neighborhood. You know, we we go home at night and you know we're just the opposite of a typical residential type neighborhood but because of that um, we have a we have a tight daytime neighborhood and we help each other out we um, when it snows we end up you know using the resources we have the plow roads and move things around so it's great um, a lot of a lot of businesses in that area like galvanizers um, Cowback metals um, a lot of laser cuttings um, and processing um, vendors that we use, like Bridge City Steel and uh, McKenna Metals, um, all those all those work together really well. So what we can't do, they can do for us, um, and vice versa.
1: Sounds like you can lean on them when you're looking for something and you don't have it, and, or if you need some help with this, some sourcing some raw materials,
0: or yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, we. Um, we actually what we kind of pride ourselves on the the vendors that we and suppliers we do use for the loo we kind of keep that within about a 10 mile radius and the majority of that comes directly out of the Guilds lake industrial area
1: so you've mentioned the portland loo a couple times um can you describe what the portland loo is and how it came about i sure can
0: um <laughs> yeah the uh the uh the portland loo is a, a single occupant public toilet it's um it has a lot of crime prevention and uh, design features in it to help maintain it, keep, keep it simple. And um, and it was originally um, the, the brainchild of um, a city commissioner named Randy Leonard in 2008. Um, through some of my contacts with Portland Development Commission, which is now Prosper Portland, they introduced me to Randy and, and said, hey, he's looking for a manufacturer to help him. Design basically the port the perfect toilet to uh, solve a lot of situations that are happening in Portland, and you know what? Unfortunately, the uh, traditional uh, brick and mortar type private multi stall bathroom just doesn't work anymore in this day and age. So, you know they're closing down those kind of structures and basically taking away public restrooms from the general public, and. Uh, so you know, in order to solve the problem, Randy just couldn't find anything. So what he did was he hired a team of you know a designer worked with an advocacy group called Flush, which is the public hygiene let us Us stay human.
1: Is that a is that an acronym or is yeah, are they just called yeah, Flush? FLUSH. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's their acronym. It's a very clever one. Flush. Um, yeah. it's
1: probably too long to remember what that stands <laughs> for. Or do you. <laughs> well,
0: uh, Carol McCurry was the founder of that, and she uh, she was she was brilliant in the design of uh, implementing a lot of the design concepts that help public toilets function in this modern day society. So the loo being a single occupancy is one of the design features, you know, small, you can tell if somebody's in there, you know, you're not, you're not, you can't imagine yourself going into a multi-stall restroom and, you know, seeing a couple doors shut and not knowing if anybody's in there or not. And so now this is a, you know single off you know space that you can see clearly into um, it has a lot of design safety design features and crime prevention features like it has some louvers that basically make it open airy so one somewhat uncomfortable to be in but also um, private enough that you know but people can see inside so looking through the louvers you can see if there's more than one set of feet inside the police can tell if somebody else in there laying on the laying on the ground or. Anything like that, so and it's also all stainless steel, so it's easy to clean, hard to hard to damage. Um, it has a self contained cleaning um, cabinet in the back, so they can pull out a hose and clean anything down that's a big mess. But most of the time, there's just I always like to say there's only one or two things you can do in there. <laughs> number one or number two. <laughs>
1: that's, it. that's it. So um, so the loo the loo sounds like it's it's pretty easy to clean, and it's located in, in public spaces. It's accessible to anybody walking around and they don't have to pay anything to get into the loo
0: is that true yeah absolutely um randy leonard's um main drive was to make something that would be open 24 hours a day you know it solves a lot of homeless issues at night and things like that as far as waste and and um using it for a restroom at night um also um it's just rugged and tough. And the, the nicest thing I like about it is the fact that it was all designed by a committee. Basically, Randy brought in the, you know, public works, he brought in the parks and rec, he brought in the police, he brought in fire. Everybody had a chance to review it and evaluate it before it was even built. So, and I, you know, one one of the things about I, my experience in fabrication is that the more thought you put into something, the simpler it actually gets. And that's what the Lou is. It's a real simple, basic utilitarian design that really works. Excellent in most situations.
1: It's it sounds like it's a great design. It's simple. I've actually used one myself and it feels very very private. Very accessible <laughs> and safe. Um, not to mention, it, it looks nice the, if you get a chance to look up the Portland Lou online, take a look at a photo. Um, it's it's a really nice building. Um, it looks like a small building, actually, walking into it. And so, um, so it doesn't feel like a porta potty or public restroom at all. Um, So, uh, what about the community benefit of something like the Portland Lou? I mean, why why were you excited about taking on this project? Was there any any other benefit that you could see aside from just being a necessary thing for people to use? Sure,
0: sure. No, yeah, no. You know, I had actually had my doubts about it a little bit when I, you know, I took it on because you know I knew about bad behavior. I knew that Seattle had some. Something I thought was similar—they have, they had APTs or automatic public toilets—and I thought, you know, well, those didn't do so well. But as I worked with um, Randy and the team, you know, we realized, you know, this is this is has less less privacy than those APT did. It didn't have the complication of the automatic system. Um, actually, that didn't really add any value. And in some ways, it didn't help at all. It, you know, it's very mechanical. It's prone to breaking down. It uses too much water, um, a lot of things, and that just didn't work well. And when I sat down with them, I realized, well, this does seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. And then, as I saw it being used in other communities, and I see other cities coming back for more, that I, I see, it's the proof is you know there, it's it's working really well.
1: And where 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 can you find Portland Luz?
0: Um Well, currently there's about seventeen in Portland, which is great. They um you know they 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 really. Understand the value of, of it, of course. You know, and they work really well with that. But we're in—I think the last count we're in about 23 cities and literally three countries: so Canada, U.S., and we actually have one in uh, New Zealand. So. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's it, it's a it's a it's a system that really works well. So, um, it's easy for people to just. Buy it and go. How did the New Zealand? Literally.
1: How did the New Zealanders find out about it? <laughs>
0: uh, you know, actually, that's through some of our marketing research. My my one of my uh, nephews, Evan Madden, he's he's in sales and marketing, and through a combination of the internet and things like that, Google searches, mm-hmm. uh, we saw that they were they were having some challenges with a um, in the, in New Zealand. It's it's a very um, beautiful spot for one thing, but it attracts uh, a lot of tourism, and they had a. a, a a tourist attraction called Baldwin Street, which is a very steep hill in in the South Island of New Zealand, and uh, in Dunedin, and uh, they would haul a, a lot of people from the cruise ship, mostly older people and uh they'd get to the bottom of the hill to see the uh steepest hill in new zealand and in the world i guess and uh realized that they didn't have any bathrooms nearby oh so, no so, did
1: they have to climb the hill to get to the bathroom There's uh, no
0: bathroom at all uh, there's and that's another thing that we found out is like um there's a small convenience store there and they're oh. they're finally getting fed up with you know servicing two or 200 people or so a day and uh so they shut that down and they didn't allow people in and that's one of the things we see, another benefit we see about the loo is you know, it's pretty welcomed by a lot of businesses. You know, they if they have an outside bathroom or a public restroom, you know, a lot of people don't turn them away, you know, put people away in their businesses. But at the same time, it becomes a big inconvenience. So by saying things like, you know, you can't use my bathroom, but there's a Portland loo right around the corner, they're very accepting of that. And they see it as a, a, a loo moving into their neighborhood is a is a good resource for them as well as the general public.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. See that. So, tell me a little bit m- more about um, Madden Fabrication and how long has it in bus- been in business? Um, and how long have you worked there? Did, did you found the company? Did it yeah. start? Did somebody else start the company? Well,
0: actually, actually, um, it's a family-owned business. Um, we're actually going on our third generation of, of Maddens right now, and um, my father um, started a company called Madden Industrial Craftsman back in around. Oh, 1980, I would assume it was. That's not right, 1990. <laughs> I'm sorry if you it <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, my father started a, a company called Man Industrial back in 1990, and um, uh, that, that's a staffing service that focuses on manufacturing and construction-type labor and electricians and uh, carpenters, welders, and things like that big need for that um you know how hiring people that uh, construction and manufacturing can you know like any business can fluctuate a lot so sometimes you need to you know increase your labor force and you need to do it fairly quickly so their focus is just on those trades so they're very they're very good at what they do there um so um after that he saw a need to open up a metal fabrication shop uh we did a lot of pulp and paper type shutdown work and we thought well we can Benefit by that by making, you know, additional pipe spools or catwalks or equipment, expansion equipment and, and fabrication type of projects for those shutdowns. And uh, so we opened up the fab shop to help supplement those shutdown projects where they hired 40 or 50 Madden industrial employees and we would bring in these, these fabricated products at the time when they needed them. Well, that took, that was fine. It worked out pretty well. But then uh, we had a slowdown in pulp and paper. But at the same time, we, we also kind of developed our own customers. And that's where we came across things like the uh, Crater Lake Lodge, Timberline, and and a lot of general contractors that we did a lot of structural miscellaneous steel for. And in a lot of ways, when the Portland Lou came around, it was just another fabrication project. project. But then ultimately, it turned into its own type of business.
1: And when did you when did you start with the company? Were you always part of the company because uh, it was family owned? No,
0: no. I graduated Portland State in electrical engineering. Thought I was always going to be an electrical engineer. I worked in that field for about four years. And my family asked me to come on board to manage the shop when they, they came up with the idea. And that's- How
1: why. old were you at the time?
0: Oh, oh that's so long ago. I don't know if I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For now, were you out of
0: college? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I was out of college. I was four years out of college. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was probably about, I guess, about 27 or so then. So pretty young. Did, was it what you wanted to do? Or did
1: you feel like you got uh, you know, into I, I think it was <laughs> No, no
0: I, think it was, I think it was more along the lines of... Uh, you know, being an engineer in a cubicle wasn't what I wanted to do. So, um, and shortly after that, I realized it's, it's pretty neat to see, you know, something from a, go from an estimate to on the shop floor being built to being installed and, and a, and a ribbon cutting, you know, it's pretty neat. So, you know, it's nice. I think, it, I think in our, my family has always had some family businesses growing up and things like that. So being hands-on and, and, uh, um, control of those things is is important to us. I think it's just kind of innate to us. So, you know, having more control over your job is is tough, but it's also very re- rewarding.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you you had the option of you know sitting at a desk job, doing something different, engineering. It's uh, problem solving of a different kind and, mm-hmm. and, and absolutely applicable to manufacturing but um but a little bit of a different of. and so it sounds like you were you were drawn in by the actual making seeing a project from the design start to finish and, absolutely and yeah. for it being installed and saying being able to point at that and say i made that or my company made that yeah
0: and no i think it's important to uh you know appreciate you know fit fit a job that you want you know being being part of it that's important to me and you're right i i did see uh, you know my nature isn't I, I couldn't be a good architect or you know i you know i guess i was an okay engineer at the time but um basically engineers i think like to solve problems you know they uh the old concept that you know ha glass is half full or it's half empty and the engineer thinks you just have too much glass it's it's that's how we think we we think about just enough to get the job done and do it right but get it you know don't waste and things like that and i like that part about being my own boss and working in metal metal is very recyclable material uh it's easy to fix if it's too short even so um there's a lot of things there that um get you know get a lot of ways to get out of problems and it gives you a lot of opportunities to be creative at solving those problems and i think that's the part i like the most of it
1: is a creative problem solving. Yes. Just, is, I, every, is every, what? what's it like on a daily basis for you? Is it, is every day the same? Is every day a different problem that you're dealing with? What's a typical day in the life of yeah, no, <laughs> you
0: yeah. in the company? Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting. It's always changing too. You know, now with third generation, it's like my role is changing a little bit. I'm trying to pass, you know, hats down to me you and know, my nephews and things like that. Um, no, it's always different. That's It's a good thing. You know, I think that's what a lot of my employees like, too. You know, one day they're doing handrail and they're learning math about staircases and applying that. And then, you know, that's the best way to learn is to, you know, study it, understand it, and then apply it and then see how it works. You know, trial and error is a good way to go. But um, try not to error too much. But at the same time, they, they do you know, learn a lot on the job and working in their hands. And they love that, you know, sometimes it's steel beams, sometimes it's light fixtures, sometimes it's all sorts of interesting things. And I like that too.
1: How big is the team there at Madden?
0: Uh, We have about 17 employees overall. And it's kind of neat because we have about five of them on the loo. And there used to be a day when we used to pull people from the fab side over to the loo to build, you know, one loo a year. Now now we have a full uh, crew of five people. Um, shop foreman, project manager, sales, and and production.
1: One of the one of the issues that a lot of Oregon manufacturers are facing right now is is finding are finding employees. Simple as that. And so, how have you found yeah. your employees? And are you are you faced with the same issue? Are you oh, frustrated absolutely. as well? Oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Um, when I started the shop, you know, my employees were. They they taught me how to do my job and their job, you know, and I could I could learn how you know, how long it was going to take to do something that I had never done before because they had. Um, now now it's reversed, you know. We we bring people in and we have to slowly train them up from like a laborer to a to a welder and then a fabricator. And there's different skill sets that have to be learned that way. And trying to be organized and structured is is a good way to do that. That's what I think about this podcast too. Is like you know that's one of the things I think you know people and listeners are going to hear. People, how do you how do you train people up? You know, um, the resource, the skill trade resource is going to be a big issue, and there's a lot of good solutions out there that people can share and and hear about.
1: So it sounds like one of the solutions that that you've that you've used at Madden Fabrication is to hire people on and then train them up within the within Absolutely. the company. Absolutely,
0: mm-hmm. and Madden Industrial is our basically their HR department. So you know our foreman can call a recruiter at Madden Industrial. They know what we need. Usually when we say we need a fabricator or a TIG welder, and they can they can uh, find the right people. They usually have a pretty good set of um, a database of people they've personally interviewed. Mm-hmm. And when, but, and vice versa, we um, we also train some of the recruiters up. They come down to the shop. We teach them, you know, what the processes are when they come on board, so they can really understand. When they ask the question, you know, how, you know, how do you TIG weld? How well do you TIG weld? They'll understand what the term is instead of just um, assuming that they'll answer it themselves. And.
1: So you're helping to educate your recruiters too, so absolutely. they know what language to speak and what skills to look for yeah, specifically absolutely. that will be a good match for what you're looking for.
0: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Great. And then we give them feedback on their employees too, so they know a little bit more about more of a working interview in a way. So, you know, if that employee is only a temporary for us, um, they can go back into the workforce and they'll know, hey, they can handle this. They they show up on time. They, you know, soft skills, hard skills, all that.
1: So it sounds like Madden Fabrication is kind of going through a little bit of a transition. Mm-hmm. You, well, the company started off as a company to help find skilled labor for for
0: different for
1: other manufacturers, yeah, manufacturing
0: or? construction. Okay, yep.
1: manufacturing and construction, and then and then you got into the fabrication side of things. Um, so where where are you headed next, or are you headed? In another direction <laughs> same direction. well,
0: you know the economy's good we're we're doing quite well on the on the construction side and fabrication side um, and um, and with the loo, it's just like I say, it's another opportunity to you know to learn new things around the processes and improvements we need to do around the manufacturing side of things um, we we've got some struggles, you know, as we grow it's it's an interesting challenge because just as you dial something in, all of a sudden the loo sales bump up some more and now you've got, you know, the space you thought worked doesn't quite work. So you have to look at optimizing those kind of things. And um, so that's the big challenges there are just space. We're always competing against space because we're growing so well.
1: Mm-hmm. And and because fabrication is more, more, it's more custom, customized type of work yeah. versus the loo, it's more, you're repeating the same design as you're building it Correct. out each yeah. time.
0: So- so, you know, so with the fab shop, you know, you, you try to get the plans out to the shop floor as possible. You, you try to keep some standardized work as possible, but it's always kind of different, but, you know, keeping your blueprints, you know, standardized so that the guys can learn from it and understand the, the same, you know, look at a different blueprint and understand how they're going to cut the steel, weld it together, measure it, the primary views and things like that, that they need. But yeah, on the uh, fa- fabrication or the manufacturing side of the loo, it's, it's standard work, Uh, standard operating procedures, um, you know, ordering material just in time, you know, um, basically a lot of different things because you have the, the ability to learn from them and then reapply them again and again and again. on the fabrication side, it's, you're lucky if you can get as built drawings done after you're done because the steel's out the door and put up and any mistakes are usually, you know, corrected immediately. And, and, uh, so they don't slow down the construction of the project. You don't have time to really go back and change your procedure, so it doesn't happen again because you don't really need to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're really thinking about how do you? You're looking at time and looking at standardizing your process. And is that what you mean by standard standard work?
0: Yeah, standard yeah, work on mm-hmm. the on the manufacturing side. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the on the fab side, you know, we we took advantage of um, a grant from OMEP years ago. And that was when we were more of a fabrication facility, and you know we struggled with that. And I think you know as this podcast develops, and there's more introductions to the, the advantages of lean manufacturing tools and resources like OMEP, uh, that that people are going to see that hey, this is a great this is a great solution to save me space, and that's exactly what it did for us when we hired OMEP. They came in, and we did some 5S boards, so we you know, organized our t- tool room, we, we made cleaning up the shop a lot more productive. Not only were we just, you know, in the old days we were just pushing broom and shoving things under the desk, so it looked neat, well now we, we move things back to the shadow board and because it's there, now the next time we, that time spent cleaning up actually saves us time in the future, so it's more routine. Um, We also, you know, looked at value stream mapping of our shop floor. And at the time as a fabricator, we usually our technique, which most fabricators are like, is you shove all your equipment off to the side. And when you need it, you pull it out and you work in the big open space as much as you can. I didn't see value stream mapping as a as a tool for us until we took one look at our operation and said, well, where does, where does the product come in and where does it go out? And once we did that, we started realizing, Hey, we can, we can move some, some equipment out of our way. Basically it was literally in our way and we didn't notice it. So by doing that, you know, it really did improve our space and gave us more room and, and made us more efficient.
1: And what's, what, what's the benefit of, of, uh, being more efficient? Oh, As you're producing something, making something, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. money. You know, money's not the end all, but it's a good measure of you know how how you're doing efficiency wise. But yeah, being efficient is everything, and it, it just it makes you know one of the things we learned in Lean is you know value added versus non value added. Amazing how much work you do that the customer doesn't care about. You know, a lot of it's necessary, like you know safety meetings. They don't care if we have a safety meeting. But it's necessary. We have to have it, and it's it's you know it's helpful and safe you know safe safety. And uh, but at the same time, it, if, if we have a safety meeting and we're not working, that bothers them. So how do we do this? How do we make our safety meetings more efficient? So how do you reduce the amount of time in it but make it useful? And the same thing carries over to many things we do in the shop. You know, as far as you know, being efficient and not working so hard. Like like I say, the five S boards were a great tool. Because we had a rule that if you walked into the tool room, you could count to five and put your hand on the tool that you wanted. And as soon as we did that, we realized we sometimes we needed a good minute and a half and that wasn't efficient. So by putting things in order and, and putting them in the right place and always having them there, we knew where to find them.
1: So it sounds like it not only saves you money as far as you're saving time but you're also making things a little easier on your employees they don't have to spend a lot of time searching for things and Absolutely. their time is more is used a little more wisely and, yep.
0: and those are the non value added times that the customer doesn't want to pay for and uh, and either either I pay for it or they pay for it you know it's it's no, and then it's wasted time and you want to eliminate those those kind of wastes
1: so now I'm going to get into the love and love and uh, pain. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question. Just curious, um, what do you love about what you do, or what motivates you to keep doing your job? What is your what is your why for for doing what you do?
0: Ah, um, well, you know it, it's. You know, it's 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 fun kind of being the hero sometimes, you know, people come to you and it's like being in business is just about being good to people and uh, they come to you with a problem and you fix it. And, you know, how good is that? You know, it's really rewarding that way. And another thing, I like I mentioned earlier, too, is just the uh, problem solving part of it. I, you know, believe it or not, I'm, maybe I'm a little twisted that way. But, you know, when guys come to me with a problem, I like to, you know, anybody in the office comes with me a problem, I, I like to I like to. I like to think out of the box it puts me in a situation it's like hey i know there's a solution how am i going to get there and what you know i usually come up with two or three solutions and and try to optimize those down to the best solution and i, I that's part of my my makeup that i like
1: I mean, you didn't start off as an engineer for nothing. You probably yeah. <laughs> attracted yeah. you to the problem solving. Yeah, I think it, cho- it chose me. It chose
0: me. Yeah.
1: And then applying those that, those problem solving skills to a practical kind of everyday application, it sounds like that's what drew you yeah. to
0: yeah, working there. Yeah. yeah. So I enjoy that. And like I say, it's, you know, a lot of times when things are rolling out the door and people are back on track because you built something for them to save them time or. Built their building to work in. Yeah, it's great. It's very rewarding.
1: So, what about what about challenges? I mean, everybody faces daily challenges. Mm, do
0: I don't you? have any challenges.
1: <laughs> You're fine.
0: <laughs> Everything's good. Uh, um, uh, you, know, you know, one of the biggest challenges we're having right now is, of course, transitioning to the third generation. It's, it's, you know, it's success rate of that is really, um, you know, low and. Uh, but it's good that, you know, my family's treating it that way. Like we're aware that the the odds are stacked against you. And like anything in life, if you're, you know, worried about it and you're focused on it, you put more heart and soul into it to make it work.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you have you thought about that transition, transitioning to the, is this your next generation? Yeah. Is this your, third, your third family, generation. Yeah. your children? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my children.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so you're thinking about, okay, how do you hand the business off to them?
0: Yeah, it's exactly. That where you're at. And how yeah. do you train them up and how do you how do you make it feel like it's their business? I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a real key thing is, you know, they're coming in, you know, when we worked with my dad, it was like we built it together, so it's we have a lot more ownership, tangible ownership, I guess, if you call it that. Mm-hmm. And now they have to come in in a different sense of it and kind of in their minds earn that ownership, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a challenge
1: have they, what, what are the types of things that you've done to bring them into the business or have you brought them in
0: yet? Oh, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, treating your business like a business, not so much like a family barbecue or something, (laughs) Uh, you know, bring out the financials, you know, present what you have, you know, show them the good and the bad, but do it monthly and make sure that they see that and they see, Hey, you know, these are the benefits when we came down to adding additional benefits to our employees, you know, we, we could look at the numbers and say, this is what it's going to cost us. Now let's take a look at the sales and what do we have to do to make that happen and keep everybody, you know, have the benefits that we're offering. Mm-hmm. and we we understood the rewards of that we're gonna be you know employees don't want to be there because of the uh, increase of their benefits and their and their you know, what they do every day
1: so, are they working at the company yet
0: yeah job? yeah actually I have yeah. two. Nep- actually I have three nephews working for me right now um, two nieces work at Madden Industrial mm-hmm. that's Kelsey and Jenny and then uh, Chris and Evan my other two nephews work with me down at the shop and then I have another nephew Ian on my wife's side that uh, graduated Oregon State in Mechanical Engineering. He worked several summers, and he came on board to uh, help with the loo. And uh,
1: did he have the same realization as you
0: <laughs> that he didn't want to do uh, yeah. it uh, at, a, at a desk? Yeah, and I, th- I think the, I think, working, I think working at the shop in work. some ways he's kind of ruined <laughs> because it's, it's a unique situation. He, but it's not ruined. But he's he's going to have to look for something more interesting than the typical engineering job. Sometimes, or at least the one I was I was in for a while. <laughs> which yeah yeah he enjoys he, he enjoys the diversity of it and all that so he's doing a lot with um with uh overlay welding he likes material science and material engineering so he's in a good field in the shop for that
1: that's great yep. some of those some of your your um your nieces and nephews the folks that work at, at the shop and then also your employees that are not part of your family what is what is a typical day for them like when they come into the shop in the morning what are, what are the types of tasks that sure, they have sure. that they're responsible for? Oh, that's for? a good question. Yeah. yeah.
0: E- Evan is in charge of, um, uh, lose sales, lose sales and marketing. So he's, he's acquiring a lot of leads and, and following up on leads, following up with quotes and orders, um, offering, you know, assistance with options and things like that on each loose sale. He also handles, um, trade shows and, and any other kind of, um, uh, outside marketing and hands-on marketing and presentations, things like that. So he's, he's in a very dynamic, you know, fun role. Uh, uh, Chris um, is, he manages, he's a project manager estimator as well right now and working his way into more of the overall shop management. So he's, he's working on jobs. He does a lot in the, uh, with a geothermal customer we have down in California and uh, does weld overlay and, and uh, some high exotic alloy material type work for them as well as um, some of the structural and miscellaneous. So being a job shop jumps around a lot. He's got a lot of experience and and, uh, has developed some specialties in a lot of them.
1: Mm -hmm. And then what about on the production side of things?
0: Uh, as far as their involvement, Chris, yeah. is pre- Chris is probably more involved on the um, production side of the shop. You know, we do have a foreman that he works with closely and, um, and we have another project manager estimator too that, you know, they kind of work independently. But we like to have a lot of crossover in the facility. So there's a lot of, a lot of people that can take on the same tasks, but Sounds they also have their own projects.
1: Sounds like there's a lot of project management and and they're leading the their teams and then what about what about the folks that are actually on the floor fabricating or building the loo what is their what is their (laughs) typical day like
0: oh yeah well it's um you know we have some we've we've done some lean operations so everybody basically has a work release of what project they're on so it's it's you usually have a morning meeting to start up the day and say hey this you know you're going to be working on this project here's your plans here's your work release with your hours you know um you know the materials arriving when it's arriving. They'll, they'll get the full scope of it, and usually they'll work with the project manager that quoted the job too. So we'll have a you know, planning meeting basically with that, so they, they they know who's in charge of the project and what they're doing, and give them an overhead or, overhead view of what you know what the project is about, and then they basically get to town on you know sawing material, a lot of processes in place, and then final welding and assembly and things like that.
1: So you mentioned before that one of one of your Challenges is transitioning the business over to the next generation, and are there any other daily things that keep keep you up at night? Were you Uh, as a as a business owner leader?
0: (laughs) uh, Yeah, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest things is you know you'd like to grow as fast as you can, but you know people are a resource that you really need in this business, and um, and I think I hear that a lot from a different lot of different manufacturers, and I think that's as I mentioned probably be a big part of this podcast is. you know how do you train people up how do you find good people um how do you keep them and yeah that's always the challenge you know you you want to i think that's what the expression is something along the lines of you know you want to you want to treat people you know well and give them all the tools and resources and training they need and hope they don't leave or you know I probably didn't quite say that right but <laughs>
1: They don't leave. I mean, I think that's, that's real. No, <laughs> that's, it's very real. That's the feeling that a, a lot of manufacturers feel right now is just that fingers crossed. They've put a lot of yeah. time and investment into hiring someone and get, training them, getting them up to speed. And then they just cross their fingers and hope they don't leave.
0: Yeah, it's some of the cross your fingers, but it's also, you know, I, I realized it was like... You know, pay and benefits, you know, we have to do that. And it's it's a cycle of life, you know, when when things get, you know, like they are now with the economy, everybody's busy, people are jumping for more money, which they can get supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you've got good things in place, good benefits, is, you know, pay a little bit more and, and be remember that, you know, it t- costs you a lot more to train somebody up to, than it does to keep them, that you might as well put that investment in their pocket too, so that they stay with you. Um, and then secondly, I think we got a lot out of the lean when we had, you know, we're really strong in, in developing our lean processes and stuff. People could, they started getting comfortable. There's a culture around the lean process where they could speak their mind and you were you listened and you responded, whether it was like, no, we're not going to do that. they like, okay, well, they can move on. They're not going to say, you know, they never listened to me and I can go somewhere else. They do it better there. and and things like that. So instead, they get the, that culture where they they can contribute to the improvements to their own lives and lack of stress in their own work facility.
1: Yeah, sounds like that might have, that might help them help you with retaining your employees because um, they have a they have a work environment that they can express themselves, create, you know, express their ideas, you know, be heard, and. Um, I mean, I'd want to stay in a company that that listened to me and, yeah, and heard my ideas, yeah. even if it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and and if they were honest with me and told me, hey, you know, maybe that's not a good idea right now, but maybe maybe late in the future,
0: you know. Um, well, I often but, I often yeah. say that, and it like I say, it does it does force me to say. Okay, let me hear your idea, you know, and, and I need to I need to listen to that, you know. And, and I started getting into a better, oh, my, what's your idea? You know, it literally went from. excited about it. I don't want to hear what you have to say to, you know, yeah, what do you got? Because the last two ideas worked out great, and I didn't think of them. And, you know, when you put five or six minds together, it's it's always going to be better. Yeah. It's always going to be, you know, more, uh, more ideas. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing.
1: And you're connected to several business advocacy groups in Portland. Um, tell us, so tell us about your involvement with these business advocacy organizations, such as NEBA. What does NEBA stand for?
0: Okay, yeah, NEBA is a Northwest Industrial Business Association. Uh, they, they are the business association that's uh, inside the Guilds Lake Industrial Sanctuary. Um, yeah, and that's a good question. I, um, you know, I, I stay involved because most of these things, like Portland Business Alliance, uh, Northwest Industrial Business Association, the Industrial District Group, some I'm a member of. Mm-hmm. Um, They're great resources to meet people that are in the same field, business and things like that. Um, NEVA is great because they're all our neighbors and we get to know each other and we have some crime problems and other issues that we can talk about and get resolved. We've we've resolved a lot of uh, issues around the scrap theft in their neighborhood in the day. Um, So there's a lot of things that, you know, I I like to stay local with all my advocacy stuff. I stay out of the national stuff and state stuff, really, because it's more it's more bang for your buck as far as staying local and uh it's that's what my business needs is local immediate solutions you know being a smaller mid, medium-sized business um yeah no it's 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 great and that's why you know this podcast you know i i like to you know i know a lot of those people and those organizations that help around hr issues um exporting importing Um, transitioning third generation second generation type businesses all those resources that are out there um, you know be can do their time on the podcast and educate a lot of the local Northwest manufacturers with their knowledge and resources Um, prosper Portland was you know one that I stayed in touch with They, they they introduced themselves through the Northwest Industrial Business Association and they're literally the the folks that introduced me to the um, city commissioner, Randy Leonard, that started the loo. So, you know, that was a that was a good social Small networking world, thing yes. that worked out really well for us. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's social networking on
1: a community level. Absolutely. To- <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, Randy Leonard didn't know, you know, which business, you know, to use or work with. And I didn't know they're trying to develop a toilet until... Prosper Portland, and uh, specifically Kevin Johnson, put me in touch with uh, Randy Leonard's office, and it worked out great. Fabulous. The rest is history.
1: And how do you, so it sounds like you're involved in a lot of different organizations, and that you work with a lot of different organizations in, in your local community. Um, so how do you balance your the industry work that you do and the community work that you do um, with your everyday workload as a business owner and running a company? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty simple. You just, I just look, you know, constantly, well, I, I focus on only working half days, 12 hours.
1: <laughs> I'm like, wait, one, two, th- oh, wait,
0: 12. He just said 12. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, it's like any, any love for any love for your business or anything you're passionate about. You put in, you put in more than the uh, nine to five type. How do you day. spend the other twelve? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, just, if eight hours of that is sleep, then
0: it's really just four. <laughs> yeah, I spent uh, spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time studying my ceiling in my bed and thinking about the, the next day. So yeah. there's a lot of things I do. Four,
1: that's the four hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then you fall asleep. Yeah. And then yeah, it's <laughs> eating eating an occasional beer. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. and uh, no, this just it's just one of those things you have to put in the extra time, and and actually it's kind of feeds on itself. The more time you put in with groups, you know, I met some amazing people in all those organizations, and and in a lot of ways they save me time. You know, they you know you learn things that you've been doing wrong for a long time, and you find resources. We worked with the U.S. Commercial Services. And how did I find them? I guess I found them through um, Portland Business Alliance, and uh, and they helped us with you know how do you send a big stainless steel toilet to New Zealand? And instead, they say, well, how about you build it there? You know, and they they helped us with some connections over there to find out who to work with, and uh, they've got um, they have delegates and and um, uh, folks over there that basically know that they're boots on the ground. They know they know their way around. And uh, I think the U.S. Commercial Service would be an excellent resource that so many people don't know about. And um, it could be a very good episode for a podcast as far as getting that message across and letting people know about it.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound like small feet building a Building something in another country where you're not the person building it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's not, you know, it's your
1: company's name on it.
0: (laughs) They they really, you know, we really helped find find us the right person for that job. And the the company was excellent. And uh, of course, I had to go out there and visit them, but that wasn't so bad.
1: I love this question, so I'm just gonna ask it because it's so weird, but I love it. Okay. Boxers. So if you (laughs) it's a weird question that I would never normally ask in in real life, okay, but I do actually kind of think it's a cool question. Okay. Oh boy. So if you if you could make a giant billboard about manufacturing that everybody could see, everybody in the world, what would you want it to say?
0: Manufacturing matters. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was too easy. Oregon.
0: <laughs> but, a good, but a good response. Ah, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, very, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about the prospects of the po- podcast. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the content that we generate, I know it will be, it'll be helpful to so many people. So, yeah. Tune in.
1: Thank you for listening to the Manufacturing Matters Oregon podcast. To learn more about manufacturing in Oregon, visit manufacturingmattersoregon.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.